Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We continue our Holy Habits Sermon Series by looking at one of the most central features of worship, the hearing and preaching of the Word. But what brings the Word so much power? As we will learn, it's a holy mystery. You're listening to Holy Habits, the Word of the Lord by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible readings this morning, there are two of them, both come from the Old Testament. Two words about the Word, uh, one from Isaiah 55 and the other from Jeremiah 23, verse 29, just one verse there. Um, as Bob mentioned earlier, this is the third sermon in our Holy Habits series. And during this sermon series, we're thinking about how the, our habits and our rituals, the things you do every day, the things you do every week, how they shape us. And we're thinking about one habit, one ritual in particular, and that's the ritual of Christian worship that we do here every single week. We call that, I've called that, holy habit. Meaning it's not just a regular habit, the Holy Spirit is working on us, tapping away at our life and giving it a Jesus shape. So we've talked about the beginning of our service and what that does to us, the habit of starting the service in the same way. We've talked about the service of confession, what it does to us to confess our sins week after week. And today we will talk about the Word and the preaching of the Word, what I'm about to do. And both these passages, you will hear the prophets um, have strong words, powerful words to say about the Word of God. Listen. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood or flourish so that it yields seed to the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I desire and the, achieve the purpose for which I send it. You'll go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And now just one verse from Jeremiah 23, and you can just listen or turn there, it's up to you. Here's what the prophet says about the word of the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. This is the word of the Lord. So as we think about the meaning of the word and how the word functions in our worship service, let's do a little grave church history. And uh, specifically, let's think about the history of this building that we're worshiping in right now, built in 1959, 1960, this building that we love so much. And I think many of you know, and if you don't, I'll tell you that when this building was built, it was controversial. There was controversy around the way it was constructed for a couple reasons. One of them was the windows, right? 
I think if you grew up Reformed or Christian Reformed, you know that most Christian Reformed churches do not have windows like this because we come from a tradition that's suspicious of images. But we went the other direction. We filled our windows with these wonderful stories of Jesus, which I love, and I will defend against anyone who thinks that they're illegitimate. So that was one of the, one of the sort of the low-level controversies, but it was not the most consequential. There was one other aspect of this sanctuary that was far more controversial. It was so controversial that the editor of the banner, our denomination's news magazine, wrote an editorial questioning our choices, decrying our choices. Do you know what that was? Was this pulpit. This pulpit that I'm standing right now caused a denomination-wide controversy. Why is that? Because it is not in the middle. We have a split chancel. The lectern's over here, the pulpit's on one side. And in our tradition, and I think most of you know this, the preaching of the word is central. The Reformed tradition has always said in the worship service, the preaching of the word is central. And if you've worshiped in our tradition, you know that that kind of makes sense that we say that. In a regular sermon, the sermon is the longest thing, right? Gets the most emphasis. And everything else that happens in the, ser in the service is built around the theme of that sermon. We pick the hymns, we pick the choral anthems, we, the theme of the call to confession. We always, the sermon is a central thing and we build everything around that. The word of the Lord is central. And people said, if the word of the Lord is central, then where does the pulpit belong? It belongs in the middle. And if, if you go to other Christian Reformed churches, that's where it is, right? It's hard to think of another Christian Reformed church where it's not in the middle. And sometimes, like if you've ever been to Calvin Christian Reformed church, it's not just in the middle. It's in the middle. It's high and lifted up, okay? The preaching of the word is central. And now here comes the great Christian Reformed Church and they put it off to the side and what do they put in the middle? The, the communion table. John Calvin must be spinning in his grave. Jake Eppinga was the preacher when this building was built. And of course, he knew about these controversies and here's what he said. He said, it may be true that our pulpit is off to the side, but let me assure you that in the practice of the grave, the preaching of the word remains central here. And I hope he's right about that. I think he was right about that, is right about that. Because that's not, that, that tradition of the word being central isn't just um, a nice Christian Reformed tradition. It's deeply biblical. If you read scripture, the word, the power of the word, the preaching of the word, the presence of the word is a huge and formative theme. You heard that in the prophet Isaiah. When God's word goes out, says the prophet, it is like the rain and the snow that waters the earth and it cannot fail to bring forth green. It always accomplishes God's purposes. And when Isaiah says that, he's tapping into a rich biblical theme. The word of the Lord is held up right from the very beginning of scripture. How does God create the world in Genesis 1? Through words, right? When God speaks, it's not just communication of information. When God speaks, things spring into being. God says light and the sun flares up. God says tree and the ground parts and a sapling springs forth. God says stream 
and the mountain opens and water gushes forth and cascades down the side of the hill. The word is the power behind creation. And then if you see what the Lord does in the Old Testament in terms of how he drives his kingdom forward, it was, a lot of it was preaching of the word. He sends prophets and teachers, and these prophets stand before God's people, and sometimes they confront, repent. Sometimes they comfort, don't be afraid. But always when they come to God's people, they say, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord propels God's people through the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes. And Jesus is a preacher too. The book of Mark. You look at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Mark. The very first thing he does, he goes to a synagogue and preaches a sermon. And the people think he's great. He preaches as one with authority and not as the teachers of the law. And then he keeps on preaching. Throughout his ministry, you see him preaching in synagogues, you see him preaching on hillsides, you see him preaching by the Sea of Galilee, sometimes he preaches in parables, sometimes he preaches in regular proverbs and teaching, but the preaching of the word is central to the ministry of Jesus. And then when Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit descends, what drives the church forward after that? More preaching, right? Pentecost, when the Spirit descends, the first thing that happens is Peter preaches a sermon and hundreds are converted. And then it's Paul going out and Silas and Barnabas and they go all over the empire and what do they do? They preach the word. The preaching of the word drives the church in the New Testament. And then finally, when, when all that is done, the Holy Spirit compels men and women to, 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 to bring this book together. The teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the prophets, the teachings of the apostles get compiled into this book. And what do we call this book? We call it the Word, and it is our foundation for faith in life, and we turn to it every single Sunday. This book, the Word, is central. The Word of God is living and active, and sharp as a two-edged sword, says Hebrews. The Word of God is like rain and snow coming from heaven. It cannot fail to accomplish its purposes, says Isaiah. The Word of God is fire. The word of God is a hammer that smashes rock, says Jeremiah. The word is absolutely central to God's purposes in this world, and it has always been central to Christian worship, regardless of where our, our pulpit should be placed. Now, let me stop there. I want to acknowledge, even as I lift up for you the centrality of the word and show this, this high-flying scriptural rhetoric about how important the word is, I want to acknowledge that your experience of the word on Sunday morning does not always match the highfalutin rhetoric that we see here. This book says that the word is a life-changing force that cannot fail to accomplish its purposes, and that's true, but I acknowledge that um, on a Sunday morning, you don't always feel like a sermon is a life-changing thing. Sometimes sermons are dull. Don't worry. You won't offend me. I know it's true. I don't think I have ever preached a sermon where there aren't at least a few people fast asleep. Okay? And, and I say that, and maybe you're surprised, but if there are any preachers sitting here, they're nodding their heads because they know this is absolutely true. There are always a few people absolutely fast asleep. And let me just say this, and I think I've told you this before. There's been at least a couple times where on a Saturday... 
I'm practicing my own sermon on the couch, I sometimes fall asleep in my own sermon. <laughs> so who am I to judge? So I acknowledge um, this gap between the power of the word is proclaimed here and what you experience in an actual sermon some of the time. But let me remind you of the title of this sermon series, Holy Habits. We're talking about habits. The Holy Spirit is certainly able to take one sermon and do something cataclysmic, but we're talking about habits. We're talking about the work of something you do over and over again over time. And that's how the Holy Spirit, that's how Jesus uses sermons to change you. We like the quick fix. God prefers the long game. This is a habit. And by this habit, he sculpts us. That's a good image to think of. We are being sculpted. It's a good image because it comes out of the Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah says the word of the Lord is like a hammer that breaks stone. So think of a hammer and a sculptor's chisel. Think of Michelangelo's David. How did Michelangelo make that beautiful statue of David that people travel all the way around the world to see out of this hunk of marble? He took his hammer and his chisel and he whacked away. And some of those hits were big hits and huge chunks of rock came off and everybody could see the difference and say, wow, that really changed a lot. A lot of those hits were just little hits, chipping away, barely perceptible. Some of those hits, especially at the end, were so gentle, you could hardly see the difference. But every single one of those million hits was so important for the sculptor in making this thing he wanted to make. In the same way, when we say the word of the Lord is like a hammer that breaks rock, the master is sculpting you. Sometimes a sermon will hit you over the head and lop off a big hunk, but most of the time, tiny little, almost imperceptible ways in which the Holy Spirit is changing you and sculpting you into the person that he will make you to be. What kind of person is that? When the master swings a hammer and knocks the chisel and is sculpting us, what kinds of things are we learning? What are we becoming through this holy habit? Well, we're learning all kinds of things. I'm trying to teach you things and they're coming into your brain. You're forming a worldview. You learn the true character of God, for instance. You learn that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he loves you fiercely. You learn the true story of the world if you come here over and over again. The world is not a chaotic place. The world did not happen by chance. It was created in love. It will end in glory. And in the middle of the story, God shows how much he loved the world by sending his own son to die for us. You come here often enough, you'll learn to love what God loves. He'll teach you that. You'll hate pride self-serving and cruelty, and you'll be drawn towards love and joy and peace and patience and all those good things. So if you come here every week, you'll grow in the understanding of God's things, and that's great. But I do not think it's the center of what God is doing when you practice this holy habit. Learning things, growing in your understanding, growing in doctrine, growing in moral understanding, is not the center of what this holy habit 
does in you. Why do I say that? Look again at how Jeremiah and how Isaiah describe what the word of the Lord does. The rain falling on the ground, the hammer breaking the rock. Those are not images that describe a learning process. Hammer breaking rock, rain falling on the ground, that's not, the earth does not learn the rain. The rain drenches the earth and the earth bursts green whether it wants to or not. It has nothing to say about it. The stone does not learn the hammer. The hammer and the chisel of the sculpture hit a rock and the rock changes whether or not the rock wants to. In the preaching of the word, in the moment that we're sitting in right now, and this has nothing to do with my skill or the skill of any other person who ever stands up here, something much more than growing in understanding has happened. In this place, you meet Jesus. That's where the power comes from. As I was going through the biblical survey of, of why the word is powerful, maybe some of you recognized, hey, you kind of left out one thing. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word made flesh. All the words of the prophets, all the words of the apostles, all the words that have been collected in this book point to Jesus, who is the word. This book and those prophets get their power from him. And in this place, in a way that is beyond our comprehension, when I speak, he speaks. His rain falls. His hammer falls. And you are changed. This is real not just rhetoric. Ask any preacher and they will tell you, myself included, that you'll have this experience. You'll finish a sermon that you think is a clunker and you can always tell when they're not going over well. But you know, it's like, oh, that wasn't a very good sermon. You'll get out into the narthex and inevitably someone will come up to you and say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon. I was just what I needed to hear. And you'll think, well, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> you receive it. Here's another thing that happens. You'll be in the narthex and say, oh, pastor, when, when you said such and such, I was so, it was just exactly what, did I need, what I needed to hear. And then you'll think back and you said, I never said such and such. <laughs> but that person heard it. And it's a sign that there's something going on in a sermon that's much more than my words, the excellence of my words, and the quality of your attention. Because those are frail things. Heaven help us if this church depends on the excellence of my words and the quality of your attention. It doesn't depend on those things. It depends on Jesus, who is present in the preaching of the word and was changing me and changing you in ways that we don't even understand. His fire burns his rain and his snow falls, his hammer falls, and we are shaped and changed. I want to ask you, does that make sense? But of course, that's the wrong question because it makes absolutely no sense at all. It's a holy mystery. It's a miracle of grace. Frederick Beekner died this summer. I don't know if you know who Frederick Beekner is. He's one of my favorite authors, Christian author. He, I really like his writing. It's very angular. It's unique in his approach to faith. And I think it's unique um, because he did not grow up a Christian. 
He grew up in a very staid New England home where everyone kept their feelings and their thoughts to themselves. Um, he was, never learned spiritual things, was not taught very good emotional navigation. And when he was 10 years old, a tragedy ripped a family apart. He was 10 years old and he was playing in his room upstairs with his brother. His dad opened the door to check on him to see if they were okay, shut the door. And then his dad went down to the garage, shut the door, turned on the car, and asphyxiated himself, took his own life. And that went off like a bomb in young Frederick's life, right? Absolutely devastating. And even more devastating because the way his family reacted was, we just don't talk about this. This happened, and we don't, this is a thing we don't talk about it. And they didn't have the spiritual language, they didn't have the emotional language to deal with it. But of course, inside of Frederick, he's churning, and he's thinking, and he's searching, and he's wondering. He grows up, he writes a novel, it's very well received, writes another novel, all the while he's searching, going to church once in a while. And one day he goes to church in New York City. And during the, the sermon, the preacher describes Jesus' crucifixion, and he describes it in exactly these terms. This is a quote. He describes Jesus, uh, Jesus was crowned amidst confession, tears, and great laughter. Christ was crowned amidst confession and tears and great laughter. And here's what Beekner said happened. At the phrase great laughter, for reasons I've never satisfactorily understood, the great wall of China crumbled in my soul and Atlantis rose up out of the sea. And on Madison Avenue and 73rd Street, Tears leapt to my eyes as though I'd been slapped across the face. He was changed. He became a Christian. He followed Jesus every day of his life. After that, he wrote books, became a preacher of all things. Now, why did those words change him? How do the words crowned with great laughter, why would those words change you so profoundly? You could try to explain it, but I don't think you succeed. Beekner couldn't figure it out. He said so. What happened there? He met Jesus. He met Jesus in that sermon in a way that had nothing to do with the preacher or with him. And Jesus took the hammer and smashed down the wall that surrounded his soul. Jesus rained on that soul and made it burst into green. So you should all be careful. Because that's the sort of thing that could happen to anyone who practices this holy habit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that we can come into this place and realize that this all-surpassing power that fills our life, this hope that fills our life, is not from us. It's not secured by us. It's secured by you. And Lord, we love following you and learning your ways and growing in our understanding of you, Lord. That is our joy. But we are so thankful that it is your grace that saves us and stays us. Thank you, Lord. Bless us this week again. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.